Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today. If you're listening live, uh, you can also hop in our chat room as well. And if you have any questions or comments you'd like to make along the way, feel free to do so, uh, although I will answer them on air as opposed to typing. If it's your first time tuning into uh, Snake Oil Radio, again, I'm uh, host Jim Ventura. I am an author and a kind of life coach, spiritual counselor, uh, whose uh, expertise is actually in working with oracles, uh, astrology, numerology, tarot, animal cards, rune stones. Um, worked with these tools for many years, and I do private uh, one-on-one sessions with people as uh, a navigational aid. Um, anyway, so uh, our show today, of course, Snake Oil Radio, if it's your first time tuning in, is uh, an opportunity for me to read my monthly column, which I do send out on a regular basis, uh, approximately the first of every month. Uh, if you're not already receiving uh, Snake Oil, you can email me at uh, Ventura, V-E-N-T-U-R-A, S as in Sam, A as in Apple, G as in Guy, at yahoo.com, and you can get uh, my free monthly newsletter. Uh, so what I like to do for the show is uh, I will read my current monthly column. Uh, after I do that, I will talk about that uh, subject that we're uh, bringing up this month and uh, give it an opportunity also for any um, callers uh, to call in and ask, uh, make comments, ask questions. Uh, I even am open to a five-minute mini-reading, although I do have to keep them to five minutes because uh, we don't have a very long show here, but I am open to comments and questions and things uh, that you might want to ask. So feel free, I'll give you that call-in number once I finish with reading my column. So uh, let's let's dive in. And uh, this month, uh, normally I, I do one of my uh, snake oil columns, but um, this month I added a snake charm. And uh, I'm actually putting uh, a first book together, well, second book. I actually have one published book already called Dirty Little Secrets. And uh, this book is Snake Oil Volume 1. It is a collection of the first uh, 40 or so of my uh, columns. Uh, I added uh, nine snake charms to the mix. Um, these are kind of helpful, uh, practical aids for guidance in meditation and astrology and um, uh, ear coning, a couple of different interesting subjects I have uh, thrown in with the snake charms in this book. A uh, book itself should probably be available by the winter of 2010, and I will give you more information on that on my website uh, and uh, future shows. So uh, this particular snake charm is titled Animal Totems, and um, okay, so I'm going to just dive in and read this here. Have you ever had a bird fly into your home? Did you ever find yourself frustrated by a bee that only seemed interested in bothering you and no one else, even though you were in a group of people? Have you ever seen a hawk or an eagle flying high above you and felt a sense of awe? Do you have an affinity for one type of animal that means something special to you? Are you uncomfortable with a specific type of animal and not even sure why they bother you as much as they do? Or practical, analytical minds can often come up 
with rationalizations from most of these and other similar questions. But our instinctive, intuitive self reminds us of something far deeper. Animals have their own personal reasons for appearing in our lives, but there are other notable reasons why they may cross our specific path. Everything in the universe is interconnected. True, there are no accidents. Different types of animals will occasionally become guest visitors or major participants in our individual worlds, and these appearances are significant messages meant for us. In many different cultures, the influence of animals was seen through a different life than in our current Western thought. Parts of animals were often used as costumes and in ceremonies. Wearing animal skins, feathers, fur, and even bones were used to invoke the power of that animal. Recreating the sound, movement, and postures of certain animals were all part of an attempt to honor the animal and use the special talents and abilities. In Druid teachings, the reverence for animals and ability to see them as guides and protectors was a major component of their philosophy and way of life. The sacred animals of the Druid traditions were used in stories to convey ideas, wisdom, and knowledge of both the seen and unseen elements of our world. When we look closely at the characteristics of different types of animals, we can begin to see that they reflect elements that exist inside of us. For example, dogs clearly illustrate examples of loyalty and the urge to protect the people and property we care about. Bears represent primal power. Bear knows when to hibernate. He combines strength with intuition. Geese and ducks often mate for life. They represent the part of us that desires a mate a partner, a desire to settle down, and even raising children. Bees represent organization and happily doing our work and life tasks with a sense of purpose and joy. This is just a short list of the many different types of animal influences. When we are in harmony with all animals and the parts of us that they reflect, we can use their energy, wisdom, and power in a most beneficial way. Animals can also bring to light the parts of ourselves that may be out of balance. Dog can be inappropriately loyal. Sometimes dogs are still loyal to a master who is cruel and does not treat them well. Bear energy, when taken too far, can become the berserker bear. At times we may let anger and ferocity rule our choices and cause damage to people and property. Goose can also be obnoxiously territorial. We can be possessive and demanding in our relationships. We may find ourselves hissing, honking, and fussing so much that our behavior contributes to a relationship's demise. B may also sting others and be annoying and aggressive. B energy is that, that is out of balance is reflecting how we sometimes feel like we don't belong in this world or are unsure of our purpose and our role in life. In some respects, everything and every every one has a positive and a negative has positive and negative elements the negative parts are no less valid than the positive but this can remind us to use the more loving and balanced sides of our being as opposed to reacting from fear these are just a few examples of the many different animals in this world and aspects of ourselves that reflect back paying attention to the animals and creatures that cross your path can be very valuable they can remind us of the gifts and special abilities that we have developed in this life. Or to begin to focus on making these attributes more available. They can also show us dysfunctional elements that we need to look at and balance and harmonize. 
Animals can also be tremendously valuable totems, familiars, guides, and allies. We don't have to own an animal or eat one to capture its power. We can ask for its unique spirit to guide, inspire, and protect us. Through meditation and visualization, we can bring the best aspects of any animal into our lives. And if you start focusing on this, don't be surprised if they show up physically as well. Okay, so that was my uh, column for uh, May of 2010. And I did get a number of reactions from that. As I often do, uh, having studied animal totems, uh, pretty extensively in my life. Um, it, it really is a, a fascinating area to uh, to talk about. Uh, you know, I think even if you're, again, if you're not necessarily metaphysically inclined, like I mentioned in the piece, you know, you're cleaning the house one day and a bird flies into the house. Um, you know, again, the practical self is going to maybe get a broom, try to chase the bird out, open the doors and windows, start worrying about whether it's going to poop on your rug or furniture, but the truth is, um, you know, there's something kind of deeper that, that triggers us as well, too, when, when something like this happens. We know it kind of means something. You know, one of the birds that I know really typically causes some type of reaction for people is when they see crows or blackbirds, in the more extreme case, the raven. You know, aside from the, you know, Ed Ground Poe story about that, you know, there's a reason why there's a trigger if we are continuing to notably see blackbirds. Blackbirds have to do with um, with uh, kind of foreknowledge and, and transformation and often can represent um, being initiated into a new post or a profession or a new phase in our life. So they do represent an element of death in, in the most positive sense. Uh, also, blackbirds can bring up that part of us on the darker side where we might have repressed anger or, or fear that needs to be brought into the light, so to speak. So, you know, there are so many different, uh, if, you, if you study uh, both, uh, you know, Indian teachings, many Indian teachings, as well as certainly very extensively with Druid teachings, they talk a lot about, you know, the, both the positive and negative elements that can come up when we look at animal totems and influences of animals that are, uh, you know, sometimes parts of our lives. You know, I want to throw in uh, the call-in number here uh, in case anyone would like to call in. Any of the listeners who are interested uh, can reach us here if they've got a question or a comment at uh, 646-200-3966. Again, that number is 646 and yes, I don't mind uh, answering a question. Uh, uh, we'll have to keep it down to just a few minutes. But uh, please feel free to call in if you're uh, listening to the show live. Um, if you're listening to an archive, of course, <laughs> that call's not going to get you anywhere at this point. But uh, hopefully you enjoy it just the same. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, I, I personally, I always had a, a very strong affinity for animals. In fact, you know, one of my early... Um, uh, snake oil columns that I wrote back in about 2000 and I think three or so when I started to do uh, snake oil um, was a piece called Feeding Squirrels. And, uh, you know, when I was a child, actually, I remember, you know, I grew up on Long Island in New York, and I remember that I would often enjoy, I would feed if I got peanuts or nuts, I would go outside when I was a little kid, you know, real little, like five, six, four, 
and um, feed squirrels. So I had this real affinity for squirrels that I remember as a child, which definitely reflected back some of the elements of, of my character, too, uh, nicely. Um, but what I wrote about in that piece that was interesting, and this is a little off course, but certainly not totally off course, was I had really comfortably fed uh, squirrels peanuts for, for quite some time until, until I, I believe it was when I went into first grade or second grade. And I remember, I think I told someone that I did that, and they were horrified. Uh, another kid, or maybe it was an older kid, or it could have been one of my siblings. I don't remember the detail of who told me. But someone basically told me that squirrels were dangerously um, rabid, that they many of them carried rabies, and that there's a good chance I would get bitten if I did that, and that if I did, I would clearly contract rabies, and then they went into hor- horrific detail about how that dis- how I would foam at the mouth, and how the only way to cure it was to put a series of really big needles in your belly button. Um, still not really sure <laughs> whether that's actual true information on it very well may be, um, but certainly it, it might have. Uh, maybe that that particular um, uh, cure has become uh, a little bit more effective or a little less painful, so to speak, in in this day and age, as opposed to in the early 70s when I was probably told this. But anyway, what it did is it made me afraid of squirrels. And I think in many ways I rejected that um, squirrel energy and, and uh, I, I just became fearful of animals. Um, and that ended my feeding squirrels. Um, the funny thing is, though, you know, while they, you know, obviously there was a possibility I could have gotten bit, really for the most part, um, uh, you know, it's more likely that I wouldn't have just simply because the squirrel's going to take the peanut and gain from it from that angle. But what the reason I bring that story up is, you know, I, I, have, I guess I've always had a very, very comfortable affinity with animals in general. Um, it, when I was a kid, I do remember a, a neighbor having a somewhat psycho dog, um, but then the owner, of course, was uh, a bit of a psycho, so I don't think any of that was a shock along the way. But for the most part, when it came to dogs and cats, like I was never bitten by one. I always seemed to have some kind of ease around people's dogs and cats. They always would come lay by my legs, even when I didn't know them well. Um, really, really common. Uh, so, And I think it's because I grew up in a home with animals also. But uh, again, I've always had a real um, comfort with animals in general. In fact, this has even extended into circumstances at times for like wild animals and things that have been relatively calm in my presence. Um, certainly, it has never pushed me into pushing the line to see whether the line to see whether I can conquer a bear or a lion or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you have to have a certain amount of respect. In fact, I remember some years back. I was up in um, Sedona and Cottonwood and um, uh, with uh, my ex at the time, and uh, we were you know, we weren't actually camping. We were hanging out in the mountains, more or less, and we could see a uh, a bear, which we believed to be a bear, in the distance moving down a mountain. Uh, it was literally pushing trees and brush out of the way as it moved down the mountain. Now, we weren't 100% sure it was a bear, but uh, I'm thinking it was a good probability that it was. And uh, 
uh, I, I, you know, my ex was like, oh, let's just hang and watch, and oh, my God, this is really cool. And I was like, no, let's pretty much get the hell out of here. Uh, I, you know, it, to me, no matter what kind of abilities one has, you want to be respectful of bear in that sense, not something I, I'd want to encounter. Certainly we, were, we weren't armed or anything like that, not really my thing. So uh, we just basically got in the car and left, but it was um, it was pretty awe-inspiring and also a little bit disturbing because I think, again, sometimes you know when it comes to animals of that magnitude, they really represent that element of power that exists um, in, our, in, our, in our psyches as well, but also at a very, very physical level. And I think we should always be respectful of that power and not feel at any level that there would be wisdom in pushing against that grain. Um, after all, they are still, in essence, you know, animals. Um, but certainly something like a bear is a very powerful one. But I think when we stop and we look at the animals that we're drawn to or that we have affinity for, it really, you know, it really does open up that awareness of the connection that we all have to different types of animals that have really specific meaning to us. You know, one of the things that, you know, this is probably one of the more obvious uh, examples, but again, I'll use dogs and cats as an example. You know, dog energy, of course, is about loyalty. In the Druid tradition, the dog was associated with water. Um, and uh, also, again, it had that element, of course, of guidance, protection, and loyalty. That energy was real strong. Um, in its positive sense, you know, dog people often are very loyal uh, to the people that they care about in that sense, and, and that's often why the dog people, they have qualities of faithfulness, trust, loyalty. Um, at the same time, you know, I had brought this up before, you know, in the, in the, in the negative sense, if we carry this attribute too far, uh, it can also cause damage. You know, of course, a more obvious example would be uh, you know, being totally fearful of loyalty and commitment to a point where we're absolutely fighting dog energy to the point where we can't commit to any type of relationship or structure at all. And then, of course, on the uh, on the flip side of, of this fear can also be extreme loyalty. Um, you know, there are times when, uh, you know, sometimes a, a dog can be overly submissive to even a cruel owner in that sense, someone who is abusive to it um, and still just desperately want to get that love and affection from someone who is, is mean to it. Uh, I, I've witnessed this certainly when I was a kid growing up. I watched dogs. Uh, some of the we, we always treated our dogs and cats very well. Uh, in fact, maybe too well by some people's standards because they were treated as family members. I guess that's how I treat my animals now. I only have a cat now because I live in a condo, but she's certainly a part of this family and gets treated very well. A little princess. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I watched, you know, when people when I was younger that were really abusive to the dogs, they were mean to them or they hit them or they kept them outside all the time or, you know what I mean, they didn't let them in the house at all or, uh, you know, uh, just really didn't play with them or interact with them in any way. And, um, yeah, those dogs were often still very submissive within a desperate attempt to get love and affection. So, um, yeah, this is what this brings up. You know, cat energy, of course, brings up a whole different idea because, you know, the Druid tradition, they like to use the expression, a cat may look at a king, meaning that cat 
you know, a cat can sit in a room with a king and not feel any real sense of awe. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I think that um, sometimes people don't like cats because they perceive them as obnoxious or arrogant that way. But in reality, um, cat uh, expressing that characteristic of, of not having awe is more because cats typically are less subservient uh, and more about the cat consciousness is more or less if it lives with you. It kind of sees itself as your roommate and just as valuable although certainly uh, there are exceptions to that rule. As a general rule, that does hold true, that the cat energy is a bit more detached. In fact, that's actually what cat represents. It represents guardianship, detachment, and sensuality. Uh, cat is, is very sensual in its, in its nature. We see this reflected back to us in, even in the Batman stories, what Catwoman is, is considered a very sexy uh, but bad uh, kind of uh, uh, dynamic at the same time, so that's certainly um, you know we hear that that those references to to cat energy in relation to women a lot of times in that sense. Um, even uh, the expression "catty" uh, brings uh, an evocative uh, imagery here. But cat of, cat energy, of course, is very sensual. Um, you know, cats are uh, you know a cat can be affectionate with you one minute and purr and be very affectionate, and then it'll go off and lick itself and not really want to be bothered. That is funny because if you really think about that, again, one of the reasons people often don't like cats is because they feel they're too detached. But in actuality, that is kind of a healthy sensuality in that sense. It's not compulsive or obsessive. It knows how to be affectionate and then it knows how to really attend to itself without needing constant attention or adoration at all times. Uh, Really, step back and think about it. Probably a, a good quality and a beneficial one in in even our own human interaction relationships with another human being. So you know, uh, so it, it's funny because I've often told this. I may have mentioned this in other shows when I've mentioned this to clients that often cat allergies have to do with intimacy issues, difficulty with intimacy. Uh, so cat allergies are real aversion to cat energy in general uh, because cat does in many ways represent that that vibe. Now, what's, what's real interesting is if you study um, the uh, Druid teachings on animals, you will find also that they talk a bit about dragons as well. Um, there are four primary dragons that are talked about in the Druid tradition. And, you know, I don't think for most of us that we have too much worry about running across an actual dragon in a physical sense, and I guess there's a lot of debate that will go back and forth about whether dragons actually ever existed in the first place. But all of that really is neither here nor there because it's about what the energy of the animal, even the, um, the story of the animal represents. I mean, even whether a unicorn ever existed or not, it's still, a unicorn ever existed or not, it still represents um, an influence, say, a vibration. So although it, when, when it comes to dragons, there is one dragon that some people do believe absolutely exists, and that would be the water dragons. Um, the Loch Ness monster would be considered a water dragon. So, uh, and there are you know stories of people spotting these different types of dragons in large bodies of water in different places. Um, my feeling on all of this is with all dragons. Now, the four dragons are earth dragons, air dragons, fire dragons, and water dragons. My feeling on this is that I don't know. I don't think they really exist in this physical realm. Although maybe at some level they at one time did, but mo more importantly, I think they exist in in 
in lore and in 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 story because of what they represent and what they bring to to light within those stories. I also think at some level they may very well have existed or exist at kind of another level of reality. I think that we get the same dynamic with things like leprechauns and elves and things of that nature. I think that they very well may exist at other levels of, of reality if we, if we look at the theory that there are uh, multiple existences within, uh, even within our own in that sense. Uh, I think that's also where the Bigfoot energy may be coming from as opposed to it necessarily being a physical creature bumping around in our present woods, it exists at another level of reality imposed in that same space. So without confusing anybody <laughs> further with this, uh, I'll go back to the idea of talking about the dragons, because again, it's what they represent. So, you know, when I've done, uh, I have a deck of, of druid animal cards, and I think the deck was unfortunately um, uh, uh, discontinued a few years back, um, the authors, if you can find an old copy of this in a bookstore with the cards as well, consider yourself blessed. This is an amazing book by Philip and Stephanie Carr, C-A-R-R-G-O-M-M, Cargom. It's called the Druid Animal Oracle, working with the sacred animals of the Druid tradition. And there's many different types of cards and books. This one is one of the best I had found, and I've used it for many years so I have done, you know, readings and sessions with people and pulled animal cards for them. And uh, what a beautiful set of cards, very, very beautifully illustrated. And, and the, the imagery and the information contained is very easy to work with and very, very valuable. So they, in this book, they go into quite a bit of detail about the four different types of dragons. So it's funny because, of course, these, these dragon energies also correspond to astrological uh, influences. Um, earth dragons, of course, would, would represent the earth signs, uh, Virgo, Capricorn, uh, and uh, Taurus. And uh, air dragons would correspond in many ways to the air signs of Gemini and Libra and Aquarius. And fire dragons, of course, would correspond to the fire signs, Aries, Sagittarius, Leo. And then water dragons would correspond to the water signs of Pisces, Cancer, and Scorpio. So um, the influence of, of these animals, so to speak, are particularly profound because they carry very, very powerful elements and characteristics to them. In fact, in the, in the old stories uh, in the Druid tradition, they would talk about the more dangerous dragons would be air and fire dragons uh, as opposed to water and earth dragons. And that's a very funny reference because as an astrologer myself, I'd also have to say that I think that, you know, I don't want to say that fire signs and air signs are more dangerous than uh, water and earth signs as a blanket statement. But there's a little bit of truth in that. You know, being a fire sign myself, um, there are times when I can fly off the handle and say or do things that I sometimes will pull back and often regret and um, much less so as I've gotten older, by the way. And air signs also can have this tendency to say uh, and not know when to shut their mouths, so to speak, uh, in that sense. Now, it doesn't mean that water signs or earth signs don't sometimes have the same attributes, but as a general rule, I find that to be you know, less the case. So uh, all these 
particular dragons um, do represent these elements within us. And, and, of course, whatever your sign is, we all have these elements within us in, in different proportions at some level. So, you know, fire dragons can represent focus of thought, of mastering something, um, the ability to be precise and to have enthusiasm. And the negative side, it can represent anger. And, uh, and uh, you, know, you know, an angry fire dragon will burn down the village, so to speak. Uh, air dragons have to do with ideas and insight and communication and expression. You know, sometimes things, ideas just pop into our mind or we know something. Um, that's the, the uh, Druids would say that you were visited by the air, air dragons, that you got insight. The negative side, of course, it can be um, scattering words and thoughts and ideas in a negative kind of a way. It could also represent um, being too consumed by your cause, by your idea, I mean, losing your awareness of, of how other people feel in that sense, zealousness. Uh, Water dragons, of course, um, uh, contain the element within us of of, uh, of uh, opening up the emotional floodgates in a good sense. When we fall in love, if we suddenly begin to feel deeply about something, that's the water dragon energy, of course, that is taking over. On the negative side, sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the water that's coming through, by our emotions, by our feelings. Sometimes we can tap into a painful emotional memory or, or a present one that is overwhelming to us and is happening too fast or quickly, like a flood. Uh, and then, of course, the last dragon to mention are the earth dragons, which in many ways were seen as the uh, less, um, less uh, toxic in that sense. Earth dragons were seen as the guardians of treasure. Um, they would often guard. Uh, they would uh, guard the caverns and, and the treasures of caves. In that sense, they were seen as uh, they were seen as less violent dragons. In that sense, but still a little bit scary. So, of course, the earth elements are represented by practicality and our our sense of purpose and dedication to our work and to what we do. Our own sense of internal wealth. In a negative sense, sometimes we will block ourselves from success or abundance in that sense because we're not ready or we fear we don't deserve it in that sense or we have to we feel we need to learn more and go through a process before we can get there and sometimes this can be represented also by blatant stubbornness so again talking about these dragons again is a, is a, is a great example of the insight that comes through when we really begin to look at animal influences and, and what they, in essence, represent to us. Um, of course, some of the more practical animals are even a little bit easier to grasp and understand. Uh, you know, it's funny because a couple of months back, a friend of mine was asking me about what I thought um, pigeons represented. Uh, and uh, I had to think about that a bit. Certainly not in the teachings of Druid traditions what pigeons were, and we both kind of collaborated on, on meditating a little bit on it and seeing what we got. And we both, in essence, came up with a similar idea that pigeons were about... Pigeons represented the common man. They represented the mass psyche. They represented the group itself in that sense. And uh, that was some real interesting insight because I think that, you know, if someone runs over a pigeon or uh, has trouble with pigeons all over the house, maybe some message about them bucking the group mind or avoiding dealing with um, 
groups of people and circumstances that involved somewhat common thought and common energy. Uh, again, I, I see us taking this too far to an extreme of being so independent that we don't uh, value some of the things that, that you know all people may, may find some element of connection to. Uh, we've still got about another 10 more minutes of the show, so I'm going to throw uh, my uh, our, our phone line out here again if anyone wants to call in with a comment or a question. I've seen a few people popping up in the chat rooms, but uh, you're welcome to call in. Otherwise, I'm going to chat for the rest of the show. That number is 646-203-966. And uh, if you're interested in calling in and want to comment or have a question, feel free to do so. Okay, so we have uh, we've been talking a bit about these different uh, animal totems, and um, I think I will continue on that train of thought. So I want to actually, I think what we'll do is, it doesn't seem like I this is a show where I'm having a lot of eager callers. So I think I want to talk about some of the primary animals and what they represent, especially for um, looking at the animals that might actually come across your path. Um, I know uh, one thing that I always note is around the holidays in um, around uh, in December, I typically go through this process where I make uh, I make uh, lasagna around Christmas time. It's kind of a the half Italian side of me, and the part that does like to cook from time to time. Um, I like making my lasagna, so I go through a very uh, I won't say intense process, but I tend to make a lot of lasagna and then eat it for a couple of weeks and share it with friends and family on Christmas Eve, and then usually eat it for a week or a week or two afterwards as well, make enough of it where I can freeze it. And uh, a very popular tradition among my friends and family for the most part, and uh, for me also, I, I kind of guess my my philosophy is, you know, with the holidays I eat a little more than I normally do and have no issue with putting a few extra pounds on which then, of course, I want to take off once the uh, winter comes to an end. But uh, the reason I bring this up is what's funny is I, I often I will – December weather in Phoenix typically is often rather nice. Um, like many other places on, on, in this world, it's typically in the 70s uh, at that time, so it's often gorgeous weather. So a lot of times I'll leave the door open or the window open. My cat will go in and out while I'm cooking and preparing my lasagnas and I'm listening to music and all very much a part of a very enjoyable process. And um, the uh, thing that's funny is very often, uh, in fact, it's happened every year since I've done this, I'll have one or more bees fly in to the house while I'm cooking. And I always get a kick out of this because, you know, one, the, one part of me, of course, you know, you worry about a bee landing somewhere and then you're not seeing it and you put your hand there and you get stung. Um, you know, it's a little bit frustrating when a bee comes into the house. But I actually have found over the years of this happening that I often will just simply, I'll do one of two things. If the bee is very aggressive in the kitchen, a lot of times I'll take a cup, I'll capture the bee and I'll put it outside uh, other times, if I don't, if it's not being too aggressive and it's just buzzing around, I'll just, you know, the doors and windows are open, and I just basically tell it when it's finished to go back outside that it's welcome. And uh, you know, I know, you know, for me, making of the lasagna is a very ceremonial element of celebration. And you know, in the Druid tradition, they talk about the idea that every six weeks or so, the Druids would get together to celebrate. 
they had many different holidays and traditions, but they basically would celebrate approximately every six weeks anyway. The idea was that people would come together, no matter what your differences were, and you would have a little party. You might even drink a glass of mead, which was often made with honey, carrying the scent of, of heather or the, you know, the, uh, the highlands, uh, of course, connected with the bee. And um, uh, bee was associated with the sun and uh, all these things. So it's funny because, to me, the bee would come in to remind me of this celebration, of the part of me that enjoys this and getting together this way. So very healthy part of life. Now, you know, I've had clients a few times that were stung by bees or had a, you know, a difficult experience. Like uh, even the other uh, couple months back, I was walking outside and there was a huge beehive on in front of one of the condos toward the end of my condominium complex. It wasn't really near my space. It was further down. And I saw a monstrous beehive. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder what is going on with the person that lives there why some part of them drew a beehive to them in that way. In other words, a more aggressive element right in front of your own house. So, you know, in the, in the Druid tradition, they, they believe that if the bee energy is out of balance, you're being bothered by bees or you have too much of it. It means some part of you doesn't feel like you fit in or belong. Some part of you doesn't feel like you're part of the hive. You don't have um, that energy of, of feeling connected or you're not loving what you're doing in your life. Um, you're not having the, you know, the happy bee buzzing and doing its work. So, uh, in fact, they, they, they mention this in the, the Druid book that I, I have about how uh, some English folk healers would cure asthma and other ailments by using bee stings therapeutically. Um, so, interesting stuff here, like I said, because when you begin to really, really look at this, you realize how interconnected everything is. You know, the, the one thing that I, you know, I mentioned in the piece that I think is, is very, very clear and, and one that almost most people can identify with at some level is, if you know, if you see like a hawk or an eagle or a big bird flying above you, I, I think it's near impossible for anybody to not be awed by that sense or that feeling that comes up from that. And, you know, hawk is uh, particularly an animal that represents um, nobility, recollection, and cleansing. You know, you hear the expression being hawk-eyed. In a good sense, that can be, you know, being able to see the big picture and also the detail when you need to as well. And, um, you know, in a negative sense, being hawk-eyed can also be being too hawk-eyed, too nitpicking, too detail-oriented, um, you know, losing, um, getting carried away by the justness of your cause because you're right you know, because you can see and other people are oblivious. Uh, so we can look at both of those dynamics when we see hawk energy around us. But the main thing I'm, I'm bringing up here and I, I wanted to talk about with this piece is, you know, I want to teach my listeners and, and my clients and all of my readers, of course, that you always have signals and messages coming from all around you. You're not, you know, you're not part of this landscape and this structure. So the animals that, that show up are, are there for a reason. They're there for their own purposes, but they're also there to send you some type of a message if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to, um, to pay attention to what they have to say. You know, and I know that's kind of scary for people sometimes in that they don't understand, and this can cause a certain level of anxiety. Well, I don't know what that animal means. So, you know, I know I had a client once that, told me that there was a fox in her backyard and she called me 
and asked me what Fox meant. And, uh, you know, I told her what Fox meant, which has to, has to do with diplomacy and, uh, and a wise use of, of energy of, of counsel. Being know, knowing when to, you know, the fox kind of represents the idea of using cunning, diplomacy, and wildness in a productive kind of way. Also, uh, that opens up a whole uh, Pandora's box here that I have to mention because, in a negative sense, um, you know, uh, a fox can also be a derogatory term um, in, in some respects as well. Me being sly or bad somehow, but yeah, there are times when we have to use fox energy. Um, there's an interesting connotation because there's a lot of very negative words used to describe women at times, uh, uh, you know, cow or um, I think of some of these terms that are usually not part of my uh, vernacular, uh, <laughs> bitch or shrew. There's different. Well, there's a lot of different words to describe the negative elements of women. But, you know, it's funny because if a woman is called a foxy lady, it means that she's sly and she's a little bit of a bad girl in that sense, but she's also hot or attractive. So there's an interesting element to that that creates that duality. But, um, yes, my, my client was asking about the fox, and when I told her what that meant um, about knowing when to come out in the open and be counted um, or knowing when to hang back, keep your mouth shut to some extent, being sly in a good sense, she was mesmerized, of course, because it completely applied to what was going on in her life. So that said, uh, that's the energy of the fox. So the key is, you know, when you tune into the animals and you tune into them and, and realize again that they are messengers for you. They're not, um, they're absolutely not uh, there accidentally. They really do have uh, some type of message for us. We realize that we are interconnected in this world. We do have um, the ability to to communicate with nature and let nature communicate with us. And it's a good thing to do in that sense. I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I'm getting a message here in the chat room. Uh, uh, Oro Shango, hello. How are you today? I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this for my for any of the listeners. Hi, Jim. Damn, I keep hitting the end of every show I go into. Yeah, I, unfortunately, right. I'm coming to an end of the show. Uh, so I, I thank you for stepping in, though. Um, you know, the show typically runs the first or second Tuesday of every month. Um, if you want to get a definite schedule of when the show is, you also can email me, and I will send you my monthly column. It's free. You don't get any sales crap from me or anything. And I talk about when the shows are going to be, uh, you know, at least a week or two in advance, so you know if you, when you want to tune in. Plus, it's a great column anyway, so uh, uh, I definitely would welcome anyone to check that out. Uh, you can just email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com, and that information is on this website as well. So, again, I, I thank you for, for stopping in, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch you another time. Uh, uh, yeah, do I... Do guest speaking on the shows? Yeah, I'm actually going to do some guest speaking in the next month or two on a show called Journey into the Light. That's also on Blog Talk Radio. So uh, I will be doing a few shows uh, over the next month or two on those as well. And all of my shows are archived, by the way. But yeah, absolutely. Next time you tune in, feel free to call in. I love to talk to callers, and uh, you can ask a quick little question and get a free little mini reading for five minutes on the shows as well. So... Okay, it looks like we're down to our last minute. So I thank everyone for tuning in. Um, this was a great uh, conversation discussion. As usual, my shows go by very fast. Yeah.
because they are only 45-minute shows. Uh, as the show grows, I may actually make it a longer show. And uh, I also will be adding my monthly um, interview show feature back in July or August, where I will add a show each month and do a live interview with someone who's metaphysical and interesting. So um, that will be added. And again, that will be uh, you can find that on the blog website, or you can also uh, just check it through my own uh, my own service through uh, Snake Oil, my monthly column. So yes, absolutely. Uh, the uh, I, again, I thank everyone for tuning in today. I will ba- be back here again uh, next month, and then the month after again will probably be two shows. Uh, you can reach me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com, and uh, if you want to get on my mailing list, let me know, and I'll put you on there. You can also check out my website at http dot dot slash web dot mac dot com slash Ventura Words. If you want more information about any of my books or CDs or looking into private sessions as well, and there's some back snake oil columns on there also. So again, uh, uh, okay, uh, what do I get a message here? Check out Egan and then some, okay, again, thank you, Oro Shango. I'll check that out as well, and you have a great day. Thanks for stopping in, and uh, everyone have a wonderful day.